So is God good and just to command his people to kill the Canaanites? We, we teased it last episode. We asked a lot of questions. We kind of framed the argument. We explained how people interpret this, why it's a problem. But today we're going to answer that question. Uh, I'm Ben. I'm here with Andy and Craig. The three of us are elders at Life Fellowship, and we are part of the uh, subgroup Nerds of the Round Table, Nerds of the Round Table. And uh, we're going to be, you know, we left off last episode, guys, with th- there's this is a major issue for a lot of Christians and non-Christians, but there's a good answer, and there are good answers to this quote-unquote problem in the Old Testament of how we, when we read the Bible. So um, I want us to first begin with, you know, a lot of times when you, when you're watching a show, you ever, you ever find yourself really liking uh, a series on something and you're totally into it and you invite someone to watch an episode and they watch always the, worst the episode. It's kind of just, it's just not that great. Or you feel like, you know, you're laughing at things and they're like, why are you laughing? Like you got it because an episode, you know what I mean? If you don't know the whole story, you're not going to make sense of the episode that we read here. And I think it's really important that we take a, let's take a step back. Andy, you did a great job last episode of kind of like walking us through where we are in the moment, but there's a, there's a, there's a redemptive narrative that we have to keep in mind when we're, when we're interpreting scripture. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so I, I kind of think of like kind of two lenses, like, first of all, this is a troubling topic, Mm -hmm. but, um, I want to encourage you, if this is a troubling topic, that it might be worse than you thought. <laughs> so, Wow. Thank you, Andy. <laughs> what we've got to realize is that what we encounter in these, these conquest narratives yeah. is not an anomaly That's in right. Scripture. That's it right. is a unique response in a unique time in the story of the Bible, but the, the, the quote-unquote issue of God's judgment is not only found here. Yeah. So if we think that we can explain the conquest and get comfortable with that, we haven't re- removed the problem. 100%. Um, so we need, to, we need to consider that. Just think of... Um, the the flood narrative where God flooded the earth mm. and destroyed everything but Noah and his family. Mm. Um, and then, you know, you've got the conquest narrative. You've got Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, but but just just fast forwarding all the way to the end to Revelation, you've got you've got this. Here's a description of Jesus. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. In the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From Jesus' mouth came a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. There is a storyline of scripture. Mm. And it begins in Genesis 3 where um, humanity has fallen away. And God's purpose is to bring people back. I love the way uh, um, uh, Graham Goldsworthy describes it. It's God's people in God's place under God's rule. Mm. That is the the trajectory of uh, of the whole story of the Bible. Yeah, yeah. And we're we're seeing God's plan to to bring that to reality play out in Scripture. Yeah. And in order for that to happen, there is um, evil needs to be 
eradicated. That's right. Mm -hmm. That is a real problem that is just foreign to the modern context. Yeah. And all of that is solved in the end in Jesus, who, who doesn't just destroy, but he takes that very wrath upon himself mm. so that we are freed from it right. and can enjoy his presence eternally. Yeah. So there is a storyline of scripture that this is just one piece that fits into, but there is an epic battle. That's right. That is throughout the story of Scripture that that this is just a piece of. So yeah. we've got to back up and, and and understand the whole thing. Yeah. In order to understand this particular thing. Yeah. I, I think if you don't get that God, everything that God is doing, the Bible is not a history book, but it contains history. So the question you have to ask yourself is, why does God include certain episodes and not other episodes? Yeah. The the reason why He's including this episode is because what happens here. What happens with the Canaanite conquest is vitally important to the Messiah coming and redeeming mankind. Mm -hmm. If this didn't happen, that's at stake. Yeah. And I think that's what you have to see that in in the historical perspective. If you just try to look at this in the episode of it without any kind of context, you will miss out on the interpretation of how to see that. There, God is preserving his people to protect his promises so that he can bring the Messiah and salvation. Yes. There is a real forces that stand against that. Yes. To, to oppose that, to keep yeah. that from happening. Yeah. And, and Craig, I think you can add a lot of color there. Yeah. Well, I'll try. How okay. about that? <laughs> so, so, Andy, you know, to your point, Deuteronomy 7 which talks about what is going to happen right. and what needs to happen. And as we read it in Joshua, as it is happening, mm -hmm. and there are cities and peoples being being destroyed, to view that just as a military conquest is wrong. That's right. Because, again, it connects up to that redemptive history that I, th I think you're talking about. And there's something else going on. There are stranger things that are happening. <laughs> and when you connect it to, to the fact that there there's a, is... There's a Demogorgon that's that's infiltrating uh, the, maybe, the world. Maybe, Ben. <laughs> maybe, Ben. But there is a spiritual nature to this conflict. Yeah. And when you think about the fall of Genesis 3, when you think about a fall within Genesis 6, when you, when you see the division of, of the nations in Genesis 11, there is a spiritual component that connects to the events that we see in Deuteronomy and Joshua, mm. there's a spiritual battle and conflict that is taking place where it is God and his people versus other gods yes. and their peoples, yes. the nations. 100%. Yeah, I think throughout the Bible, as much as we see a redemptive history, we also see the conflict between the serpent and God. Mm -hmm. Right, we see the, you know the dragon and the lamb. We see in Revelation, like this is a, this this transcends every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people group. Like there is a spiritual warfare that has been going on from the from the moment of the garden to the end of of God, you know, Jesus coming back. That there is a we are in the middle of. And so anytime you see conflict in scripture, it is not merely a horizontal human being against human being conflict, but there yeah. is something very vertical going on mm -hmm. between the forces of God and the forces of the serpent. Yeah. There, what, what, what if when God made a promise to Abraham, I will give you this land, that the enemies of God, the spiritual enemies of God set up um, 
peoples in that land That's to right. oppose God's purposes. Yes. What what if what if that is what we're experiencing here in, in these conquests? One hundred percent. Because if you if you are the enemy of God and God tells Abraham in Genesis fifteen, I'm going to give you this land, right? Well, then you know, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to do everything I can to keep that from happening. Right. We know, like all of us have experienced this on a personal level. The moment you say, "All right, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust you with my money. I'm gonna start tithing." Like the moment that happens, you'll start coming under financial hardship. Mm-hmm. The moment, the moment you say, "Okay, I'm gonna start getting up early and 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 praying and reading my Bible," you get sick. Like we we feel personally when we try to step out on faith and obey God that there is opposition. We know that personally. Well, what? On a grander scale, that when God says, I'm going to do this, I'm going to bless this this person and make them into a great nation, I'm going to give them this land, the forces against God are going to be like, oh, we know where we're going to right. concentrate our our attention then. Yeah, and so, so to summarize the point, there is a spiritual opposition to the physical reality, the, yes. the earthly reality that we see going on in Joshua and is here described in Deuteronomy 7. Yes, 100%. So I, I, let, let's back up a little bit and just talk about like like, like the um, atheists that, that will, will cling to this, yeah. will say that, that the God of the Bible is a bloodthirsty God. Yeah. So, so explain to us, Ben, why that is not the case. <laughs> well, I think it's not the case because if you look at the character of God, okay, again, if we're going to, if we're going to look at this episode, let's find where we are with God's character and what God has shown himself to be in the story is so different than just a, a bloodthirsty right. guy. That's just like, I don't like these people, so I'm going to kill them. He's not a genocidal maniac. Okay. Mm-hmm. In fact, anytime that God is brought with a sense of, of justice, he, God leads with his compassion. Okay, one of the things that God says over and over and over again when He reveals Himself to to Moses on Mount Sinai, even in Deuteronomy seven that we're going to be t- that we touched on in the sermon, when He dis- declares who is He is a faithful God, that He is merciful and compassionate, that He rewards those who follow Him to the thousand generations, but He will by no means clear the guilty and punishing them to the third and fourth generation. All right, yeah. So in that declaration of God always declaring, "This is who I am." His mercy and long-suffering and compassion are always way ahead. And so you see these passages of Scripture in the Bible when he tells Moses, and I, I'm going to give you this land, Genesis 15. He says, but it's going to be in another 400 years because their sin isn't yet complete. What God is saying is this. I don't just haphazardly kill people. There has to be a certain level of sin by which I've had enough. And once that once that sin meter reaches 100, I'm going to have to punish them, but I wait and I wait and I wait. If you look, 400 years. 400 years, yeah. Not only that, if you look at the nation of Israel when they were in the land before, and they let's skip ahead of this story. They don't do this. They end up intermarrying. They end up becoming the gods of the Canaanite people. They adopt as their gods. They do just as much wickedness, if not more, than the people in the land. And God. For hundreds of years, almost 900 years, he puts up with their idolatry over and over and over again. Yeah. Okay? So it, so you have this long-sufferingness of God. Then you see this other passage, uh, Genesis chapter 18, when God tells Abraham, I'm going to bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah for the, the cry of the innocent in that city is great to me, and I've got to punish them. Abraham bargains with God. 
hey, what about if there's 50 people? It's like, all right, I won't kill if there's 50, 50 righteous people in it. All right, what about 40? What about 30? Moses bargains with God down to 10 people and says, if there are 10 righteous people in the city, will you not destroy? He says, if there are 10 righteous people, I will not destroy it. Yeah. And what happens? He destroys it. <laughs> there's not enough. I mean, there's really only one righteous person in the city, and that's Lot. The whole point, and he rescues him. Right. And so the point, what you see over and over again is that when God destroys something, he destroys, it's not a haphazard. It's not off, off the whim, off the top of his head, like, oh, I don't like these people anymore. And he withholds judgment for the sake of just a few. So when God is bringing judgment, we know this, there are no righteous people in the land. In fact, here's what I would also say. The people in the land that want to be rescued, Rahab being example, he rescues them. Yeah. If anyone is willing to say, Yahweh, I want you to be my God. I'm willing to forsake my gods and make you my God. Those people are always welcomed in. So, so being what I hear you saying to our atheist friends <laughs> is that God expressed compassion before he expressed justice. Yes, yes. Let me read to you Ezekiel 18.32. I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. Yeah. This is not God's no, joy no, 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 no. to do this. Yeah. There is something more that he is standing up against. Yes. So, so let's let's look at some of those reasons. So, this haram idea, this devote to destruction idea, what do we see as the reasons given for that response to yeah. people in the land? So, Andy, I see I see three things in, in the text, and I see them consistently across uh, across the text. One is that the Canaanite people were wicked. So, Exhibit A. A wicked people in Canaan. We're going to come back very quickly and just say, hey, what is wicked? Yeah. Uh, the second thing is that the Canaanite people were, were pagan. Mm. And there was a great risk that they were going to lead the people of God away from the Shema. Mm. Right? In Deuteronomy 6, we said, hey, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might. The pagan people of Canaan and their worship of other gods were a real threat mm. that that the people of Israel would walk away and stray from God and, and worship others and and be destroyed as a result. And and, and and that's not just a that's not just a like um you know sometimes as parents you like don't do that you know don't drive faster or you get in an accident. Like we say that because there's the potential of that. God is saying this because it will happen, and he yeah. knows it's going to happen, and it does happen, right? Yeah. In Deuteronomy 7, he says, don't intermarry with them because they will draw your heart right. away to serve other gods. He knows there's a guarantee if you do not do this, this will definitely happen. Right. Yeah, so so again, the Canaanite people were wicked. The Canaanite people were were pagan worshiping other gods and were a, a moral um, and spiritual threat to the people of Israel. And then there's my favorite kind of... <laughs> <laughs> the Anakim, the descendants of the Nephilim, were a lethal threat to Israel. So I think there are, there are three reasons. Let's back up, up to the first one. Okay. It's very easy to say, hey, the Canaanites were, were wicked. Like, what does that actually mean? Well, pretty bad stuff. Pretty bad bad stuff. In fact, the word abomination is used, I think, 14 times in the book of Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy 18, Moses slows down and, and explains exactly <laughs> what that means. So Deuteronomy 18. 18 verses 9 through 14. I won't read it, but here is the description of what abomination means. One, burn sons or daughters as an offering mm. to other gods. Now, that's not like, that's burning alive. Burning yeah. children alive. That is alive. taking your children yeah. and setting them on fire 
in the worship of another what, god what they would literally do is they would they would they have these metal uh statues and they with a furnace underneath it and they would light a fire in this furnace and and would make these metal extending arms like scalding hot and they would lay their child their living child on these scalding arms that are of iron arms and they would scald them to death you would hear the cries of these children burning themselves alive the burning of their flesh and they would do it as an act of worship to their demonic god the, that is despicable the word wicked doesn't even fully no, describe no. uh or 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 capture what yes. you just shared yeah. there are other there are other things that are described as abomination one is practices divination tells fortunes interpret omens being a sorcerer, a charmer, a medium, a necromancer, inquires of the dead, all of these things capture or center around one idea, which is there is an engagement with evil spiritual forces. Yeah. There is there is a playing in a spiritual realm in which you do not belong. Yeah. And so, again, the wickedness of the Canaanite people is really described by the fact that they were engaged in spiritual conduct that is that opposed Yahweh. Yeah. All right, so that that's the wickedness of God. The other part was that these were were, were, were pagan people. The wickedness again. of Canaanites. Yes, the wickedness of Canaanites. <laughs> Important footnote. Important. Edit footnote. that, Brit. <laughs> so number two, the Canaanite people were pagan. Again, they were they were they were people that would introduce um, potentially Israelites to other gods. And in fact, if you were to go look at Deuteronomy. Uh, 13, there are even harsh words for even if Israelites, um, even your own family members yeah. tried to introduce you to, right. to other gods and say, right. hey, let's go 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 serve right. them. And the language there as a response is that you should purge evil from mm. your, your midst, yeah. right? So this is not a, a small thing. All right, number three, after the Canaanite people were wicked, the Canaanite people this were, the were, fun were pagan. This is the fun reason to I, me. Before you get into that one, let me just let me just say, Please. what you're saying is that this is an extreme response to extreme wickedness. Yes, 100%. I think that's important yes. to note that that this is a unique expression of wickedness can, that requires a unique unique response and, from God. And one of the things that I want to, there, there's a philosophical argument. They're saying, why did God kill these children? Right, because like these children are innocent. Does God know better than what you just described? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. For killing children, right? right. And so one of the arguments I, I know that some Christian um, philosophers would say is, if you believe that that the children when they die before the age of accountability, well, I don't want to get into that, but there is a there is a salvific sense of children before the age of accountability. Then what God killing children was actually is an act of mercy towards them. In, in this pagan culture. And again, yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't want to distract from like the other arguments, but the reality of that being a, a, a legitimate argument for the killing of children is is on the table that you have to consider. Yeah. So anyways, I, I want to just highlight that that perspective. All yeah. right. So the third one, this is the this is the Stranger Things, uh, you know, par- portion of the of why. Yes. So. In Deuteronomy 9, it says, Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today to go into dispossessed nations greater and mightier than you, cities great and fortified up to heaven, Mm. a great people and tall, the sons of Anakim. Now and that's that's Anakim, not Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> that's Anakim. Anakim. Now now 
You should say, okay. have lightsabers. <laughs> so, so you would say, hey, why would Moses add that, that detail? Why does that matter? Well, it's not the first time that, no. that, that we hear about the sons of Anak, yeah. the, the Anakim. And so if you go back to Numbers 13, 33, when, when, when the spies go, go into the land of Canaan and they, they come back, the Anakim are exhibit A for why they don't want to go, go, uh, giants. go possess the land. Right, and and in that text, they're not only giants, perhaps, but there is is a description that they come from Nephilim. Now, which is a reference back to Genesis six. Genesis six, clearly there in in Genesis six, and there is much debate. Although I'm happy to settle it for you over a, a <laughs> cup of coffee, but there is there is a is a spiritual component that again a a uh, there's a theological view that these were were divine beings, Elohim, who intermarried with with human women, and their offspring are Nephilim. Yeah, a, high, a, a spiritual human hybrid. Exactly. You guys are crazy. Oh, <laughs> perhaps, but I'm just reading out we're of the- We're not, of, Andy, we're not. I'm so, only, so you're saying that there is a spiritual reality in Scripture that is very foreign to us. Perhaps. Perhaps. And, I, and, well, and, and let me just back up, because to me, I, I think uh, Brad and I actually had a an episode a couple of years ago about where we talked about the book of Enoch and some of the the, theolo- the theology behind this. When when it came to this was the the predominant view for centuries, millennia of what what happened in Genesis six was this was an incursion of the de- of of spiritual forces that inter- interbred with humans, and there was this human god godlike hybrid, which you see in every single. Um, human uh cultural history of these demigods alive and so to me what what kind of skewed the the interpretation of genesis 6 uh to more palatable idea that with less supernatural reality was was modernism modernism kind of did away with anything supernatural mm-hmm. yeah, we didn't really like to think about this actually happening in our world but if this really was god's you know, intermarrying and producing offspring that were that were human demon hybrid. Then there's there's a reality that there's a spiritual reality, and there, there's a reason why harem is is so important. Yeah. So so I think to get back to the original question. <clears throat> yeah. Why harem? Yeah. Why harem in this instance, and why other Hebrew verbs in other instances? Back to Andy's point in Deuteronomy 20. Harem is here. When there are, are three things involved, I think one is in plain sight. There is the wickedness and the evil right. of evilness of of the people. There is the pagan worship of the people, and in this same region of Canaan, where they're going to go go battle, and you're going to see it play out in in Joshua. In this hill country are the sons of Anak, yeah. the descendants of the Nephilim. Right. There is a a concentration of evil, mm. which requires harem. There is something devoted to something other than Yahweh, and it needs to be destroyed. Yes. And there's a reason why, if you go back to the very original uh, reason why this is so important to the redemptive history, the seed of the serpent is trying to destroy the seed of the woman. What Satan, If Satan knows that the seed of a woman will eventually lead to the downfall, the crushing of his head, he's going to do everything possible to keep that from happening. And so this incursion of what producing a this human hybrid, it, if you don't kill them off, they have a chance to taint the DNA of God's holy people that will never allow the Messiah to come. 
And so there's a reason why God says, you've got to kill all of them. Yeah. The Anakim were a lethal threat to Israel. And to Andy's earlier point, a lethal threat to the covenant that God had with Israel that would lead to a covenant to all the nations through Jesus Christ yes. and bringing a redemptive salvation. That that was in, in full view. Yeah. That, that was in, in, in full view. And I guess a last, last point that I yeah. would make is that in Joshua 11, it says clearly mm. that, that when the Anakim are expunged, when they are, are destroyed, yeah. Joshua declares victory and divides the land. Yeah. Now, the work of possessing the land is not over, no. but the harem verb is closed. Yeah. And so it is uniquely tied to the dispelling mm. of the sons of Anak, yeah. the Anakim. That's good. Um, we've kind of run out of time, but I, I just think we should yeah. have some final thoughts. Um, just as we tie up this conversation, what are just some some things that you would want to leave the listener with, uh, with what we've discussed? I I, I would just say um, um, that. There is so much bigger, so much more going on here than than what we um, when we tip than what we typically think of, and we are it, our culture is so scientifically minded right. that what I see is all there is. Right. Um. In, in this is not something that is unique to obscure old passage, Old Testament passages. Um. We all know Ephesians six. It mm. says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, mm. but against the rulers, against the authorities, That's against right. the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil mm. in the heavenly places. Mm. Those spiritual forces were at work. Yes. In the land of Canaan. Yeah. And God came up and opposed that. God yeah. is opposed to evil. He will drive it out of his creation. Yes. And we have the opportunity now to turn to him and receive forgiveness yes. so that we can be a part of his good kingdom yeah. for eternity. Yeah, that's good. Anything else? So I'll share two things really quick. One is that there are details in these stories that matter. Mm. The de- there are right. words that matter. And I think it speaks to the fact that there is a spiritual component to the story that we see played out. The second thing I would say just quickly is that this is why you don't do Bible study by yourself. <laughs> this is why you this is why you bring your heresy, put it on the table for others to give you per- perspective. And again, I, I encourage you that when you come across difficult yeah. passages, yeah. Uh, don't lean upon your own under- right. understanding. That's so good. I, I, I would just say don't let you, the cultural norm. I, I remember hearing someone... Um, a preacher from India one time saying, you know, you, you, you Americans have a problem with God's judgment. We don't have a problem with God's judgment at all. I think God sending people to hell is perfectly rational to my culture. Okay. What I have a problem with is God sending sinful people to heaven, right? Mm, the the yeah. grace. Right. I think one of the things I want to just remind all of you, um, white, 21st century Americans about is your perspective on what you think a good God is. Um, don't let your cultural, um, uh, you know, worldview determine God's goodness. God is good because he declares he is good and we see his good. He, we have to conform our ideas, our will, our perspective to his. And that's true for every culture. The cultures that want to highlight God's judgment and have a hard time with grace and the cultures that love God's grace but have a hard time with judgment, we all have to yield ourselves to the reality and the holiness of God. 
And what I, the, the last thing I want to say is this, God loves you enough to destroy evil. Yes, that's good. God loves you enough to destroy evil, and that's why he did this. Okay, God loves you enough to destroy evil, and we all know that. We all know, can point out evil and say, that should not be, and we have that in ourselves. And God's love for us is such that he became one of us to take on that destruction upon himself so that we can be freed from it. Yes. All right. I I know we just kind of, this is a, a, you know, we went a little long today, but... um, there have been books written on this, but what we are hoping that you have done over the last two episodes is really understand a very difficult part of the Bible that I hope will lead you to worship and love God more. There's always answers to the questions that you have. Don't stop seeking. Don't stop seeking after God. I hope this has been a very good and beneficial conversation with you today. Thanks again for joining us on Life Talks, and we'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to Life Talks. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss a new episode. There is some. Share this podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to let your friends and family know about Life Talks. We'd love to hear from you as well, so leave a comment and let us know your thoughts on this episode or any other topics we've discussed. Life Talks is a ministry of Life Fellowship in Cornelius, North Carolina. For more information on Life Talks or Life Fellowship, visit LifeCharlotte.com or you can find us on Facebook at Life Fellowship Charlotte.